right here. You have an invite cards on your seat. Remember, December 23rd is our Christmas Eve Eve service. We'd like for everybody to at least invite two folks to be with you here for that service. And if you're our guest, a special welcome to you. If you'll give us your name and address on your Connect card, looks like this. We'll send you some free Chick-fil-A coupons, not Chick-fil-A food, but coupons for free Chick-fil-A in your mailbox at home. Nobody's going to call you, show up at your door. It's a hassle-free guarantee there. But if you'll record your visit with us today, we'd like to just send you that little gift from us to say thanks for being with us, all right? So second week of our Advent message series, if you want, grab your message notes, open them up. They look like this. You can follow along. I want to talk with you about one of the most famous stories uh, in the Bible as it relates to Christmas. This is the one that if you like the Charlie Brown Christmas special, you watch that. This is the one that Linus reads right there in the middle of the program. And every year, millions of people hear it. And what we're doing in this entire series is we're looking at these familiar stories, but we're saying, what if, what if we looked at them with slightly fresh eyes? Because the way you see something determines how you value it. The way you see something, your personal perspective, has a lot to do with the meaning you apply to something. Some people can see an item, they look at it, they bring value, worth to that thing as they look at it based on their experience, their past, how they look at a thing determines how they value a thing. And somebody else looking at the exact same thing may value it, see it differently, interpret it differently. And so what we're doing is we're looking at these Christmas stories saying, how would God like to speak to us in fresh ways as we look with fresh eyes on the Christmas season? And the story of the shepherds is one of those stories that's so familiar. If you're not careful, what will happen is, is you'll let the familiarity or the traditionalism or all the feels about nostalgia and Christmas impact you when in fact there's so much more gospel truth in this little story that can impact our lives. And there's one particular thing that the shepherds did that I think can inspire us and encourage us and actually show us something very, very practical to do so that this Christmas season we get all that God wants for us. Not just this Christmas season, but so that this Christmas season would become a springboard so that next year in 2018, just kind of following one small thing the shepherds did, you can have a more spiritually alive and vibrant and healthy year than maybe you've had this year. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for this year to be over. In many ways, it's been a great year. Let, let me just say this. It's been my most enjoyable ministry year in probably 30 years. I've been in ministry about 30 years. This has been my single most enjoyable year, I believe. And yet in other ways, it was an incredibly challenging year, and I'm kind of ready for it to be over and start fresh in the new year. And if you're at all in a place where you want kind of a fresh start, let me make something perfectly clear to you. The best fresh starts start with God at the center of your life. They start with Jesus not only being a little baby in a manger that we get the feels about and we watch the TV specials about and we see the ornaments about, maybe even bring guests to a church service about, not just the baby in a manger, but the Lord of your lives. When Jesus is the center of your life, you're positioning yourself to be in the best place for you to have a vibrant and alive and engaged spiritual new year. And this whole message series is designed to get you to look at those familiar stories, but to see maybe something different. So in Luke chapter 2 on your phone, 
on the screen, in the message notes, in your Bible, like the one I have up here on my desk, you can follow along. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloth and clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. This is the basic story of the shepherds. They saw something that night that was out of the ordinary. They had sat probably in that same field many times, tending their sheep, just doing their jobs. This was a normal day. Probably men in that culture sitting around a fire at nighttime, talking about life, keeping their eyes open for predators, looking for a sheep that might want to wander away as the rest kind of huddle up together for warmth, perhaps. Talking about just stuff, business, perhaps, some new idea, some new watering hole that somebody has found. Maybe taking turns, closing their eyes. Nothing special about the night until something happened. When it happened, it changed the way they saw things. A lot of people are going all around you, some of us even in this very room, and we're gearing up for Christmas. My wife and I were commenting this week, for whatever reason, this year is the least prepared for Christmas Day in our house we've ever been at this point in the calendar year. So we've made it clear to our kids, whatever gifts are left on Christmas Eve at about four o'clock at the shops, that's what they're getting. We are so far behind. It's going to be very easy to buy because there's not going to be anything left. So we're looking forward to a stress-free, kind of carefree Christmas, all right? Um, but a lot of folks are getting ready for stuff, and they don't realize, they don't realize that the event we're commemorating is more than days off, and it's more than just time with family, and those are wonderful gifts. It's more than buying things for people you love. It's a token of your love and value for them. It's, those are all good things. But it literally is a moment where we get to pause and reflect on the fact that God sent his one and only son into this world. And Christians, more than any other, who both participate and some choose not to participate in all the cultural trappings of what is Christmas, there's no right or wrong in that, you do what's best for you. But more than any other group of people, Christians are responsible to make sure that the world doesn't forget what it's all about. But not just the world, but you personally. That there is some time in your calendar to think about the fact that the Savior born in a manger is really meant to be the Lord of life. I want to take you to the first blank on your message notes and let you fill it in. It's the one sentence that kind of wraps up everything we're talking about today. It says this, how we view life drives how we do life. How you view life drives how you do life. Very simply, like this doesn't take a lot of a lot of rocket science to figure out. If you view Christmas as 
the events you have to go to and the parties you have to prepare for and the gifts you have to buy, if that's your total view of Christmas, that impacts how you do Christmas. How you view life impacts how you do life. But if you view Christmas as the moment to reflect and be grateful for and remember and consider, meditate on the fact that God sent his one and only son into this world as the ultimate gift and that that little baby in the manger wants to be the center of your life, that's your view of Christmas. That'll impact how you do Christmas. And we can't expect it to be wrong to expect. In fact, the Bible encourages us not to expect people who don't share our faith to value our faith, to value the things of faith. It's hard for people who don't have faith in Christ to deeply understand and appreciate. But all the more then, those of us that do have faith, how we do Christmas matters. Because how you view life drives how you do life. Now, I'm not going to today pick apart all the cultural things. I like all the cultural things that come on. Christmas is one of my favorite times in part because for years, I didn't realize this until I was an adult, for years, uh, my dad would bank his vacation so that often it wasn't unusual for him to have two to three weeks off at Christmas time with the family. And his presence plus the presence under the tree really at our home made Christmas extra special. And so inside of me is just a deep appreciation for the cultural way we do Christmas. We always had lots of gifts, lots of good things. And we will, we'll buy stuff for our kids. In fact, those of you who are parents in the room, are you done yet? Do you, do you know what your kids want? Because there's a list you can go to to discover the most popular Christmas gifts to be purchased for kids this year. In fact, I have a few of those, beginning with number five this year. If you'll look up at the screen, it's a selfie microphone so that you can take a selfie and sing or talk at the, you can hold the mic and view yourself and post on Facebook. Now, now I'm buying this for Pastor Will for Christmas. <laughs> this is all he's getting from me. But this is like the fifth best-selling thing on Amazon right now for kids. I just want to encourage you. If you get this for your kids, would you please bring some instruction and wisdom along with it? Because I'm sure they sing well, but in a few years, they're not going to be proud of themselves. Number four, making a comeback. This is the new Teddy Ruxpin doll. Up to, how many of you remember this? Yeah. Okay, all of you are old. All of you are old. For those of you that are younger, back like in the early 80s, this was one of the hottest selling toys and people were fighting about the teddy and you would put a cassette tape. Now a cassette tape is a little square thing about this big. And when the tape gets wound the wrong way, you take a pencil and you stick it in. Anybody, you remember this? And you put it in there and then he would read bedtime stories and his mouth would move. It wasn't ever really timed, but his mouth would move. And it was the hottest selling gift and it was like a hundred bucks. And people, oh, oh, number three, best selling this year. Go ahead and show me that. Googly eyes family game. So remember last couple of years, it was the one where your lips are open and you got to talk and a lot of you took pictures and put them on Facebook. I've been storing those things. And in a few years, we're going to bring them out, and we're going to show everybody what you looked like a couple years ago. Number two, right now, best-selling game, Hatchimals. Hatchimals. Or actually, this is uh, number one. Yeah, number two best-selling game, Hatchimals. These are little things. You don't know what's in them, but you get them, and you break them apart like an egg, you know, and you discover what it is. And they can't make 
can't be more than about a buck to make. But you'll spend $15.95 on that pack right there. But the number one best-selling gift for Christmas this year, here it is, fingerlings. Fingerlings. And they're hard to find. How many of you have bought these for your kids already? Grandkids. Yeah, two or three of you. If, if not, you are behind. All right? That's what's hot this year. But I want to take you back to my childhood to one of the hottest gifts of all time that relates to what we're talking about. In fact, you'll find this toy at the Toy Hall of Fame. There is, in fact, such a thing. It's in Rochester, New York. And they sold millions of these beginning in about 1939. And then when they picked up the Disney account, they sold even more of them. But even now, you can buy brand new ones. Many of you had this as a kid. Go ahead and show them what this is. Remember this thing? Yeah. Yeah, Viewmaster. And if you buy the old ones, they're hundreds of dollars. And the old reels, like the old little, those things are selling on eBay like hotcakes. So if you have a few of them, you probably can sell them and pay for Christmas this year. It's going to be awesome. But here's what was really cool at that. Uh, they were kind of stereo views. So they would have a, a picture and a picture. They were slightly offset each eye. And you would get like a three-dimensional impact. And the best-selling pack of pictures of all time is the early Walt Disney stuff. Uh, Walt Disney linked up with these folks and they started selling these things. And it made people want to go to Disney World. And then the national parks picked up on it. So there was a Grand Canyon set that sold, you can Google all this stuff, sold. And the, the, the traffic over the next few years at the Grand Canyon exponentially increased. Well, there was a little known cave uh, in the Southwest that only a few people had ever heard of called Carlsbad Cavern at the time. And they decided, well, if Grand Canyon can do it, so they came out and when people viewed these three-dimensional images of Carlsbad Cavern, it made them want to go and be a part of it and see it. And traffic and volume and tourism just rose dramatically because how you view things <laughs> impacts how you do things. How you view things impacts how you do things. It's just the way it goes. All of us, number two, we all have a filter that we use to view life. All of us. You have one, I have one. For some of us, our primary filter is the past. And everything that happens to us, we view it through the lens of the past. It's normal. It's natural. It's not wrong. But it becomes the filter through which we view everything. Or maybe it's a relationship. We have a few high school kids in here, and I remember there was a particular young lady in high school that I had an eye for, and I started trying to make sure that uh, I went to school without body odor. Up to that point, I didn't really care. But there came a moment when I looked at a girl, and I discovered they weren't as ugly as I thought they were, or as icky or to be avoided. And that was the moment I started using deodorant and paying attention to my hair, because how I viewed things impacted the way I did things. So it's the past, it's a relationship, it's a dream, it's a hope that you have. How you view things impacts how you do things. So number three then, at Christmas, our Heavenly Father gave us a brand new way to view life. To view life in the light of his great gift to humanity. The gift of himself and the person of Jesus. When Paul talked about this in the letter to the church at Philippi, he used some pretty profound language. We sung a little bit about that already today. I love the rich hymns of Christmas. We sung a little bit about the God who became flesh, chose to live among us. And up to this point, every culture had had its gods. 
those gods had certain personalities and the prevailing gods at the time the New Testament was written from the Greek culture or the Roman culture, depending whether you were kind of educated or uneducated, they had a particular style of interacting with humanity. Humanity was often just a pawn in their personal private agendas. But in that very season with that mentality, God broke into time and space, sent his one and only son to live among us. Paul says that he did not consider himself so high that he was unwilling to take on the form of a human, to stoop down and to be with us. And he lived, the Bible says, a perfect life, but not an easy life. Perfect, but not easy. In fact, at one point, one biblical writer says that he was tempted in every way like you and I, yet without sin. So every temptation you struggle with, Jesus felt those same pressures. And yet he did so without sin. And in that, he became a model for us, but not just a model to aspire to. He did something profound. He gave his very life. He died a cruel death he did not deserve. He took on punishment that he had not earned. He hung on a tree, crushing sin and death, but he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected from the tomb. This great gift of a baby in a manger becomes the Christ on a cross and the Lord risen from the empty tomb. And our vision of that, how we see that, can literally still, 2,000 years later, change the very way we do life. I think one of the reasons why, as a pastor, I really enjoy this season is, is I know that almost everywhere you go in life, if you're at all open to it for the next few weeks, you have an opportunity to be reminded of the special, specialness of Jesus. And we've brought in various pagan practices and kind of baptize them with spiritual meaning. And I know the history of most of that stuff isn't specific to our faith, but if you'll let it, it can remind you of our faith. When you see a candle, you can remember that Jesus said he was the light of the world. When you see a Christmas tree, you can remember the cross, the tree he hung on. When you see a present, you can remember that he is in fact the greatest gift the gift of God who sent his one and only son into the world. You can do all this, but it's gonna require a slight shift. You gotta change how you see things. And when you see people, like Jill and I went on the date night the other night, we went to our restaurant and then we went to catch a movie and we moved our car and somehow between the restaurant and the movie, the parking lot filled up. And so we decided we move our car closer to the parking lot where the theater was and there were no parking spots. And I found myself in about six minutes time driving round and round and round. And I don't know what happened, but my blood pressure started rising. And I found myself commenting on the drivers in front of me. I don't know who they are or what they're like, but in my mind, they became a very slow grandma who would not get out of my way. So I literally said the phrase, go ahead, grandma, go on. And I drove past and it was a young man of about 25. But the way I viewed things was impacting the way I was doing things, right? I'm going to encounter people, and I can, they can be a frustration to me. I found that I am good at a lot of things in life. I am not good at picking the line at the grocery store or any store. 
that I go to, no matter which one it is, it becomes the slow line. Anybody else? I'm not good at that. And I can let the people I'm interacting with remind me of my hurry and all that I need to get done or the fact that God came for them as well. Yeah, everywhere I go, I have an opportunity to see things differently. You're invited to do that. Number four, the shepherds. Shepherds were given a completely different way to view life on that night. It's interesting that Jesus came to shepherds. Shepherds were not at the highest level of the social class structure in Israel. They were quite low. They were poor. If you had money and had sheep, you hired shepherds. They were uneducated and dirty. In fact, there were some early indicators in some Jewish law commentary that said shepherds were so low on the strata socially that their testimony wouldn't even count in court. They were, in some regards, outcast. Very simple reason for that. They smelled like sheep. They were often very dirty. It, once a shepherd, almost always a shepherd. That's why back in the Old Testament, when David moves from being a shepherd boy to king, it's a dramatic movement because no shepherd ever has that kind of escalating adventure and life prospect. And yet God made the announcement to them. Because he came to remind people that he didn't come for the proud and for those with the sense of accomplishment only. He came for every single person. Those who had an acute sense of their need and those who did not. Christmas is a profound message of hope for people whose lives are filled with despair and pain and angst as well as those who are going along pretty well and feeling pretty happy. This means... That for the person who got a bad report from the doctor, that things aren't the way that you would like them to be, there's still profound hope simply because there was a baby born in a manger. And those who feel a suffocating sense of despair because this is the first Christmas without a loved one that you were used to having at the table or around the tree, you can both acknowledge that empty space and yet not be lost in it. That's the power of looking at the reality you're in through the lens of the gift of Jesus to the world. The one who's lost a job, not sure how things are going to turn out. You can be confident that God hasn't forgotten. And he's not only capable of holding the whole world in his hands, he's capable of leading your life. In fact, there isn't a single circumstance in life that you can't describe. Your best hope, the fulfillment of your dream, your worst fear, your biggest challenge. That if you and I would choose to look at that thing through the lenses of Jesus who has come to this earth and gave his life and changed everything, all of those things that we look at can be looked at differently. For the shepherds, number five, they went from looking at the sheep and at the night and at each other around a fire and they started looking up. They started looking up. In fact, in the song we just sung, they looked up and they saw the star. This is that one little behavior, that one little discipline, that one little choice you can make no matter where you are today, no matter where you're going to be a week from now and when next year begins, 
This is that one little behavior tweak that people of faith, people who have Jesus as their Savior and Redeemer can make. And it's not fanciful thinking. It's not wishful thinking. It's not a pie-in-the-sky reality. No, it's a truism that you and I no longer have to just look at life and take what comes. We get to look up and see a God who's powerful and awesome and intervening in our world and intricately involved in us, so involved that he didn't dictate to us simply from a mountain. He came and he lived among us. And he didn't come down and play with people, his playthings. He lived among us to do life with us, to experience it with us, and to redeem it for us. There's the word that changes everything. When you look at and then you begin to look up, what happens is, is the redeemer of the world begins to redeem the moments of your life. That word is a powerful word, redemption. Redemption. Because it doesn't mean that everything got easy or better or all the tension is gone or that the memories have been erased or those painful things don't still bring to mind and turn into emotion a certain twinge of angst. Of course, painful memories can do that. But redemption means that God can change the way we see those things. The miracle is not that they're gone or that you're elevated to a place where pain doesn't touch or where stress doesn't come into your life. No, no, no. Redemption means that God changes how you see the stress and the bad report and the challenging person. If Jesus means anything, he means that the world is being redeemed and the purposes of God will come to pass. Redemption is much bigger than just your life. But God does something beautiful with redemption. He tells us he's going to redeem the whole world. In fact, at one point, the biblical writers say it this way. The whole earth is groaning as if under the pains of labor, anticipating the full redemption that God's going to bring to it. Where every pain is gone, no tear from the eye, the Weapons of war are beaten into plowshares and the lion lays down with the lamb. Redemption is coming. But until that comes, redemption is still coming. And it comes to each one of us in the person of Jesus and it impacts the way we look at life. If you'll let it. The shepherds went from looking at each other across a fire and they looked up and they saw a star and nothing would ever be the same. So, what are you looking at that maybe you don't need to just look at, look at anymore? Maybe you need to both look at it and look up. This is why, like when we got together for our last worship night a few weeks ago, this is why I just like, it fills my bucket so much. Because I get to sing about the God who's bigger than anything else. I look up. I turn from looking across at all the people and all the stuff and all my responsibilities, and I look up. And it begins to change things. I'm reminded that God, at a time and place, intervened in human history, and he's still doing it. 
Number six in your message notes. God intervened and gave those shepherds a new place to view life and to view him. And he'll do that for you. Like he'll do that in a big way if you don't yet have a relationship with him. He'll like literally give you a new lease on life. But if you do have a relationship with him, he'll remind you that that was not a one-off event. The very God who redeemed your soul from the penalties of sin can redeem every component of your life and make Paul's words true. That God will work all things for your good. But you might have to stop looking at only. You might have to look up on occasion. When they looked at, they probably talked about the things shepherds talked about. But when they looked up, they joined in a heavenly course with the refrain, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to whom his favor rests. Peace. That's what happens when you don't just look at, but you begin to look up. Now, I, I, I was born in 1969. You can do the math on that. That makes me 34 years old. <clears throat> Some of you did very well in math. Um, and and I, 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 we moved when I was about 11 years old from inner city Chicago to southeast Tennessee. And I was introduced to a country custom that up to that point in my life I had been deprived from. I didn't know about it. We didn't have cable TV. We had antennas. But on one of our little antenna stations coming all the way from Ringgold, Georgia, there was wrestling on TV. Now, I'm 11 years old. I'm 12 years old. This is not the man in front of you talking right now. But imagine the 12-year-old boy watching wrestling. This was the greatest thing I had ever seen in my life. And I have a couple siblings, our living room often became on Saturday morning a wrestling ring. And I had a favorite, I had an absolute favorite wrestler. His name was Andre the Giant. Now, some of you know who that was, but a lot of you don't know him as Andre the Giant. You know him as this guy, the big guy in The Princess Bride. Now, that picture doesn't do justice. He's towering over these other two people, right? He was a big old dude, just about seven feet tall, and he'd get in the ring, and it was like, He's playing with rag dolls. Man, people's necks were snapping and he'd souffle them and they'd bounce off the ropes. And by the way, I've discovered that the walls in your living room don't have much bounce. But I tried. I tried. Just if you're ever wondering, just take my word from it. They don't give much, all right? Andre the Giant. Big. And when he would walk in the ring, you just knew. You just knew. Like he's going to make some serious trouble. There's a couple of things you should know about Andre the Giant that don't seem that spiritual. But when, I, when, I, when I'm thinking about Andre the Giant with this message, I'm thinking about the point in number seven there for you that I want to show you in a second. But you can write it in now that when we look up to God, he, at the same time, we're look, being looked upon. We look up, but God looks upon us. That's his vantage point. We look up, and when you look up, what you'll discover is that God is looking at you. Like, you're in his gaze. There's never been a moment his eyes haven't been up on the earth. If you're his child, there's never a moment he's not attentive to your prayer. The Bible hints in multiple places. Your prayers aren't wasted. Your 
Tears aren't wasted. Your name is engraved in the palm of his hand. Like 95 different metaphors to talk about just how special. When Jesus was talking about it, God sees the birds, the sparrows. He clothes them and he feeds them. And if he'll do that for little birds, Jesus said, imagine how much more important you are to him. Like when you look up, one of the most awesome things about looking up is you discover you're being looked upon. Andre the Giant. Every ring he ever stepped in, he kind of looked down on people. It was a big deal back in the day. Came across a picture not that long ago I want to show you of him. This is Andre the Giant in an airport. And there's a little boy. Isn't that just a sweet picture? Look at the face on that little kid. And if you can, I know you got a side angle, but look at the smile on Andre the Giant's uh, face there. I know it's just a wrestler. And it's silly kind of cultural kitsch, if you will. But if you look beyond it and look up a little bit, I think that to some degree that can be a metaphor for how we see our Heavenly Father looking at us. And exactly the kind of impact he wants to have with you as you look up at him. Awe, inspiring, overwhelmed by the power, just the sheer size of him. The idea that if he were going to get in the ring with you and you're going to do a tag team, you probably want him on your team. I know it's wrestling and you shouldn't make spiritual stuff about it, but I grew up in the South. Y'all just have to deal with me a little bit. You want him with you. And that sense of profound awe as you look up instead of just at begins to right-size our perspective. And what has struck my heart this week is how many people who have no idea that the songs they hear in the stores as they shop, perhaps even the Christmas service they'll go to the one or two times a year that they go. That's why you should invite them so they'll do that here at Christmas Eve Eve. And they have no idea that this is more than sentimentality and nostalgia for us. It's more than a holiday tradition. It's the God who looks upon us with love and he's waiting for us to turn our gaze from the thing that has captured us to him. So without being like too weird and creating an awkward moment, what has your attention this week? Like what has grabbed, what are you looking at? I'm not asking you not to look at it. I'm not asking for you to not evaluate or to consider how heavy or big or awesome if it's a positive thing or challenging if it's a negative thing. Do it, look at it, be real in the moment. But don't just look at it. Look up. See how big your God is and how he towers above every challenge in front of you. And he seems to delight, not in taking away the thing that has captured your attention, but in redeeming that very thing and making ugly things beautiful in its impact. So number eight on your message notes, how we view life drives how we do life. So look up because God is with you. God 
is with you. You are not alone. And if you'll look up, you'll discover he's looking upon you. So I want you to grab out your connect cards and let's take a step or two. Try to put this into practice. Next step A, as we do every week, and if you invite your guests with you on Christmas Eve Eve, using that little invite card right here that has all the information, they'll hear me give a message. It'll say the same thing I'm about to say to all of you in the room right now. That if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can change that. And if you're not looking up at him and he's not in your gaze and he's not a part of your life, and you feel, you think you want to do this, that feeling, that thinking, that's not you. That's, the Bible says that's the Spirit of God drawing. You can't drum that up. My words can't do that. It's solely the work of God. And we're asked, biblically, to just respond to that. So we use a little tool. We ask you to take the pen and mark next step A. Today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord in a minute. I'm going to pray and give you a chance to talk to God about that. If you need to do that, check it. When we pray, do business with God and put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by. Or next step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. You heard Melissa talk about uh, next week and how awesome that's going to be. And if you've been on the fence, go ahead. We've got time. Got a little room to get a few more of you in if you want to do that. But baptism is that place where we celebrate that moment when you were washed by the blood of Christ and brought into the family of God. And our church family celebrates with you. Now, next steps C, D, and E are about church life here. So next step C says, hey, I'll help us reach 100% participation with hearts and hands. And I'll help take the ugliness that other people experience and give them a chance to see it differently by the power of Jesus. Our orphans in India, the place in Cuba, Next week, you're going to hear about some awesome things that God is doing. And the next week as well, as we get up to Christmas Eve, and in all of these, we're giving people a chance to look up. We would like for you to be a part of it. And so whether it's $5 or $100 or 50 or whatever, if you just check the box, we'll send you a little link that you can jump online and be a part of it. Or next step D says, send me information about hosting a 4C group. Again, helping people to not just see what's in front of them, but to see God who's in the middle of their lives. And you can host a group without knowing a lot of stuff and facilitate that shifting of the gaze from here to up. And the next step, E, because I'd like you to join me and I'm going to recalibrate my heart, let the Lord do that work in me. It says, send me the reminder for a night of worship on December 13th right here in this building, right here in this room, 7 p.m. It's a family night of worship. Bring your kids, a little acoustic, and we're going to sing great songs of our faith and of our, of our Lord's coming to earth, and we're going to let God shift our gaze a bit. So go ahead and take your next step, maybe set that card down. For those folks who call this church home, this is the time in our service where we give you an opportunity to invest back into the ministry. So there's some folks coming forward who are going to receive your gifts of tithe and offering, and also as they pass over the bucket, let you put in your connect card as well. You've got a moment right now if you're wanting to write a check, maybe go ahead and be a part of the Christmas gift. But if you have a child uh, in our kids' ministry and you haven't seen it yet, I want to challenge you today before you leave. And if you don't have a child, walk back through the space. Go into the lobby, make a hard left, go through the white doors that lead out into our space, and you'll see 
that there's incredible amount of work being done on our space as we expand to make more room to serve more kids in a better way. We're adding bathrooms and classrooms because our church is growing. And uh, all week long, we've had great amount of people and work and activity in here. And it happened because you were faithful, you gave, you said it's not enough to just reach the people that are here. We wanna grow to expand more. So last year, you were incredibly generous. It's allowing us to make the changes this year. And my hope is you'll be incredibly generous again. And that'll fuel a lot of our activity over the next year. For those of you that are faithful, thank you. You're making a difference. And for those of you that are wondering if this is a good investment, if it's gonna make a real difference if you give, come next Sunday. And you're gonna hear marvelous stories of how God has used the efforts of the volunteers here to literally change lives by his spirit. We're gonna pray right now about our steps and our offering. Would you join with me? Father, I wanna thank you that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, into this world. And he causes us to not just see the world around us. He causes us to see the God above the world. I pray, Father, that we would be people who are sober-minded, that we would see the world rightly. We wouldn't be given to fantasy. But at the same time, while we're looking at the world around us, we wouldn't just see the world around us. We would see the God above the world. We wouldn't just look at. We would look up. Father, I know that there are brothers and sisters in this room, and there's some serious stuff in front of them. I pray, Lord, that your spirit, even now, would do its work in their hearts and minds and would speak peace over them, would remind them that God is bigger and that no plan of God is going to be thwarted, that they are perfectly safe trusting him. Jesus, I pray for those folks right now who are deciding that they want you to be the Lord of their lives. They're declaring, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. So I trust the work that Jesus has done on his cross and in his resurrection. I trust in that alone to save me. Lord, I lift up this offering to you. I ask you to bless it. Make the money go far and wide as we use it diligently to serve people and to honor you. Would you make our church a very generous church, even more than we are? And for those who have not yet caught up to the great things you're doing here through our small gifts of money, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would draw them to be a part of what we're doing. And Lord, I want to be bold to go ahead and pray for those people that are going to show up here on December 23. That as we do songs as we participate together as a church family, as the message is delivered, your spirit would draw people into a relationship with their heavenly father. You would use our efforts to do it. We would speak the word with boldness and you would generate faith in people. They'd respond with repentance. They'd come to you. Give us boldness to invite our friends and family to be with us on Christmas Eve. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.